Ours is Sefiri is proudly hosted by Red Nation Online. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and everywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome to episode 52 of Ours is the Fury. Today with Ryan. Hello. Blogsmith. Hey. And very special guest, Theo Gautier. Are there different levels, like special guest and very special? Uh, let's just say Nikki Patterson was in a different category. Oh, <laughs> all right. No, but for those of you who don't know, uh, Theo has been a long-term voyager. Um, he knows a lot about soccer. He writes for Total NASL for the Ottawa Fury content and then for the Canadian national team content. Check out his stuff on Northern uh, starting 11. Um, yeah, so we just tied Fort Lauderdale Strikers 0-0 at home. So let's start from the beginning. Let's start with the lineup like we usually do. Teo, this is the test if, okay. you, if you're a real Ottawa Fury fan. Oh boy. What was our back line? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Okay, so we had Trafford, Falvey, Alves, and uh, Ryan Richter. Yeah, and Paiser and Goal, of course. Mm-hmm. And then Richie Ryan, Ubi, and Mauro Eustachio in the midfield, which also was no surprise given that Drew Becky and the Guzman are injured. So, um, Although we do sometimes see Oliver back there these days. And then we had Oliver... Uh, on the left wing, Paulo Jr. on the right wing, and then Tommy Heinemann is the lone striker. It was a rainy day, a very rainy day. Uh, yeah, Fort Lauderdale had their winter jackets on at the start of the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the attendance wasn't too bad. I think the exact number is 6,327, which is pretty good. It's excellent for the weather, especially the weather before the game, which killed the walk-up crowd. But it didn't rain that much during the game, did it? No, I actually I, I just wore a shirt all game and I wasn't I wasn't drenched or anything. So yeah, so Martin Burt, one of our listeners, tweeted in and he said, "Were there really that many people at TD Place on Saturday? Crowd seemed smaller to me." And I have to disagree with that statement. I mean, I, I remember um, watching the game with Ryan and saying, "There's at least six thousand people here. This is a good turnout." Yeah, we were looking around at, like during the national anthem, and I was kind of surprised how many people were there. Um, if the numbers are fudged, they're fudged very little, like in the hundreds, like by a hundred or so. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot, but it seems like in Ottawa, it's tickets scanned, so it's very accurate. It's possible that some people got sick of the weather and went home early. You can't account for those people. But it's not like, you know, what we see in New York all the time where they announce like 7,000 people and there's There's nobody. (laughs) There's like 3,000 at the most. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh... You know, it was one of those zero zeros where there were actually a lot of chances on both ends. It's it's kind of a miracle, really, that no goals went in. Um, Tim, how did you see the first half? Uh, I thought uh, Fort Lauderdale was a little took control of it a little more than we did. Lots of chances that uh, the Heinemann off the post or the crossbar anyway kind of stood out, and the Falvey's attempt later after the on the rebound. Yeah, so I think it came from a corner. There's a big commotion in the in the box. Tommy Heinemann, Tommy Heinemann manages to get there first, which is great. But then he manages the accomplishment of hitting the crossbar, which is probably harder than hitting the net from two yards out. <laughs> it was frustrating. It really was. 
and then Falvey tried to head it in from a rebound, but he couldn't do anything because the ball was a little bit higher than his, than what he's yeah. tall. So. The angle was all wrong for, for that. Yeah. Yeah, Heinemann was really getting the chances, which is good to see. Um, one play that really stuck out, uh, maybe we'll talk about a little bit, is uh, yeah, he was in on goal, and then he was getting tied up with the defender. And then he, it seemed like he went down a little too easy, and they waved off the penalty. And there was a lot of calls for a penalty. I just wanted to get everyone's opinion if they thought that was a penalty no, or not. No, that was never a penalty. And I, I was frustrated. Sorry that I'm <laughs> responding <laughs> to anyone else who wants to talk. <laughs> Ryan just gave me the look like, you always talk, John. Uh, Tim, how did you feel about it? <laughs> I thought it could have been given. Um, it felt like uh, the defender for Fort Lauderdale, I forget his name, I think it was... Grayway or something like that um, held on to uh, Tommy for what was like five seconds it felt like and on replay when I looked at it really slowly there wasn't all that much contact but he did grab him and he did pull him back so uh, Tommy Heidemann's such a big guy you know if he wrestles him off and tries to get a shot off I think it might be the better response in a situation like that Perhaps it's difficult to to predict what didn't happen, but it's it's a it's a criticism that's been around for a while for from Fury fans on Tommy Heineman. They feel that he he does go down maybe a little too easy. Where if he he tried a little bit harder or not tried a little bit harder, he uh, gives excellent. Yeah, he, he tries. He yeah, yeah he's, he his effort is beyond way. reproach. But uh, in terms of uh, muscling his way to more goals. Uh, that's a fair statement. I think he could do it. So let's also talk a little bit about the Fort Lauderdale chances in the first half. There was too many of them. <laughs> well, especially uh, the Brazilian up front there, Stefano Pino, had, had several chances. Mm. And one was a really beautiful uh, sidefall kick volley that went just a yard or so over the crossbar. He didn't hit it 100% right, but mm -hmm. that would have been probably goal of the season had that gone in. Is that the one that was right in front of Pizer? Yeah. Yeah, Pizer was yelling. Yeah, because he was completely on yeah. mark. I don't yeah. know whose man that was, but... Yeah, I felt that on the whole, uh, there was a lot of green space for Fort Lauderdale. A lot more than, than what we're used to seeing from, from this awesome defense, right? And so, I wonder, in my column I wrote about Ustakio, it seemed to me like he was playing a little bit more forward mm -hmm. uh, than in pre previous games. And... Uh, I think that might have been an experiment uh, in terms of when de Guzman comes back because they'll want to keep Ustakio, who's been excellent in the lineup when he does come back. So, uh, play him higher mid. Play your higher mid. But I thought he struggled uh, in his game. And uh, you can't just say that he won't do it again based on one game. It's something that he has to grow into if they're changing his role a little bit. But uh, it didn't work out for this. I think that's what led to so much space in, in midfield. There seemed to be a lot of space at the top of the box. Usually they get closed down a lot quicker, and that, that space was there all game. Like it, didn't, it never got adjusted. Yeah. Blogsworth and I talked about this off-air before the podcast uh, about Mauro, saying that he had a really good match against San Antonio, and you know that we're happy that he's going forward more. But you're right. There was a lot of space uh, in this match where, where he, he went forward a little bit too much, so I guess he still needs to find that balance. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see when... Uh, 
De Guzman slots back into the squad. Uh, I think he isn't that injured. Like we'll probably see him back against uh, Fort Lauderdale Strikers again. Actually, uh, in our next away match, we got back-to-back uh, -back strikers action. Um, yeah, who, first of all, who are they going to take out um, for him, and uh, how's that going to change the play of the Fury? Because De Guzman isn't someone that likes to go forward. So, but that remains to be seen. Well, I think, like, naturally, it's Ustakiu who's, who's taking his place right now, who's subbed in for him uh, throughout the season when Julian's been away at uh, national team duty or injured. So that's who you would think. But like we just said, he's played his way into a squad where it's hard to, to pull him from, from what he's done. You think we could, like, change up the four-three-three and actually have... Not gonna happen. It's always <laughs> that's gonna be like the coach's philosophy. Yeah, no, because that's the only way I can see Estacio and De Guzman on the same pitch. Well, you can't take Richie Ryan off, obviously. So that really only leaves Ubi. Like, and I can see that. I can see De Guzman, Mauro, and Richie Ryan. But Ubi's well, been playing so strong. It's gonna be hard to illustrate on a podcast. But if we're talking about formation, uh, and we're maybe jumping ahead to what I was gonna talk about later, I had a chance to sit down with Mark DeSantos last week to talk formations and tactics. And what he explained to me about that triangle of defensive midfielders and central midfielders is either the triangle has two defensive midfielders and one central midfielder, or the opposite, two center mids and Richie Ryan alone. And he feels that Richie Ryan plays better when he's alone in that role. Um, and so that, that's the only change to the formation that, 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 that I can foresee, what 4-3-3 is going to be staying. And if that's the case, you've got Ubi, who's going to be playing uh, center midfield, and Julian? I mean, I, I just don't see it. Like, if Richie and Julian are in the team together, they're both defensive midfielders, right? Yeah, although there is the option to put either Oliver or Haworth in that in that uh, in that diamond, no, it's not quite a diamond, but mm -hmm. in that triangle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what what can we do to score more goals? Like we're we're second last for generating goals in the league. Like I think we're at twenty five goals. Well, in the end, if we get the points, it doesn't matter. But and like and and also in the, in this particular match, we, I think we generated enough chances. Yeah. It was just one of those days where where nothing went in. Right, they're not being converted. So the service is there, but it's not being converted. Yeah. Well, the 12-game run was a result of the balls going in, those types of chances going yeah. in. And I think that over the course of a season, you're going to see some go in, some not go in, and they'll sort of, I hate this expression, but it, it'll sort of all even itself out, like they say in hockey with penalties. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what you do that's more... I think the, the players that you have on the roster at the moment are on such a fine line between being able to put that ball in or not, yeah. right? Yeah, if they were putting it all in teams. all the time, they probably wouldn't be in NASL. So you, you're going to have to deal with the fact that sometimes that ball's not going to go in and you're going to get a nil-nil draw instead of a 2 nothing win. Um, speaking about balls not going in, uh, Pizer had another outstanding game and another outstanding save against uh, Stefano Pino when he just got enough of a touch on it so that the ball wouldn't cross the, the line in time and then Alves slid in and, and did like a last minute or last ditch tackle. Um, and then in the second half, it was just one Pizer's half after the other. 
Although we did create some chances in the second half as well, right, Blocksmith? Yeah, I thought uh, I thought for the most part we created more chances. I just thought that Fort Lauderdale was testing Pizer a lot more than we were testing Josh Ford. I don't remember Josh Ford making any notable save. We either struck it off the crossbar or put it wide. Yeah, that Oliver header comes to mind. Uh, I don't know if it was from a free kick or a corner or, or something else, but two Fury players went up. Oliver, I think, was the one who won the header, and it just went wide. Also, uh, another Tommy Heineman chance. That just went wider than that. Yeah, which I thought was in, and I got all excited, but it wasn't <laughs> in. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, another Oliver chance. He had a chance to curl it in from the top of the box, just couldn't be... The yeah, keeper yeah, wasn't yeah. going to be the keeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and on another day, a couple of those go in. I mean, that's what I, I'm sort of getting at with that. It's It was a nil-nil draw, and another day would have been a 2-0 win, or a 2-0 loss. I mean, Fort Lauderdale had some impeccable chances. Mm -hmm. If uh, Like Pizer, huge part of this team, obviously. Can and you see him? He's obviously the team MVP. Yeah. Can you see him not being the league MVP? If there is, I think there's a problem. He I mean, score like, goals? no, I think there's like if 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 Paisa does, I don't know how you see, pronounce. It. I'm French and I don't know how to pronounce his name. I've seen it pronounced Paisa, Paisa, whatever. That guy Romo. Yeah. <laughs> um, then you have to start wondering like what's going on at league offices or whoever it is that picks these things because. Can you think of another keeper in NASL that, that would be deserving of this award? I'm talking like the total players. Oh, total players. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, yeah, there's more competition there. Yeah, but as Blogsworth explained to me uh, before this podcast, the Golden Glove actually just goes to the keeper that has the least amount of goals scored on okay. him, wow. which is stupid because if you play for the New York Cosmos, you know, they can probably put me in goal. And I would have less goals conceded than the Indy 11 goalkeeper, Christian Nicht, who's, of course, a great goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, he was great against Club America. Um, so, <laughs> no, okay, well, those, yeah, the, the, the goalposts have changed there. If, if What you're saying, Blogsmith, is that it's the least amount of goals conceded for a keeper is the Golden Glove Award. Ottawa's well on its way to... To achieving that, they have 18 goals against this year. It's it's going to be between them and, like you said, John, the, the Cosmos. Yeah, but you got to look at save percentage. Like you got to. Yeah, how many shots are going on net? But anyway, that's for the league to decide. Yeah. Um, in terms of the game itself, uh, I think we discussed all the the big ones. I mean, we should maybe mention that Ali Hassan came on and he did have a chance to score. He had a header that just went wide. Um, but uh, in the stands, it was a good time. Uh, pretty full. Baitan boys, Tony Money Riot, working well together. Nice to see that the Baitan boys meet the uh, Refugees Welcome banner. Um, that's something that we saw all across the, the football world in, uh, lately. And it's good that we Not did Toronto. <laughs> yeah, in Toronto, <laughs> they weren't allowed to raise the banner because oh, really? they weren't technically in the supporter section, so security... Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. It's pretty embarrassing. Uh, and also we should mention that we had that initiative um, to collect money for the NGO, um, the name escapes me. Um, it's MH Matthew Ottawa. House. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew House. House, thank you to you. 
And I think we collected uh, about $850. So maybe this is something that we can uh, do more often. Well, even if you want to donate, like, even now, it doesn't have to be at the football stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what was great about that is that it was topical, right? Everybody's talking about the refugee crisis. And like you said, the football world has sort of stepped up. Uh, the supporters' world has yeah. stepped up to, to uh, sort of uh, across the board support this, uh, this initiative to, to accept and welcome refugees. And I thought it was great for Stony Monday Riot and Bytown Boys to, to do that. It, because there's a lot of people in North America who think supporters' cultures or they hear ultra and they can sort of get, they associate that with hooliganism. And it's, it's not about that at all. It, it's about supporting your community and be able to support other communities as well. And so I thought it was fantastic. And for Toronto FC to, to ban the banner was so corporate, it's sickening. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, yeah, did you want uh, to add something? Well, I don't, I don't know anything about this Toronto situation, but it's in the sound. I assume it's security. I'm not, I don't think they're sitting in the office going, no, we can't have these banners. Yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe I think... they are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it, was, it was probably just a few individuals in security that we, were taking Yeah, we, we all personally know how, how security decisions <laughs> don't actually reflect the club most of the time. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, so bringing it back uh, to the game for a second, just in conclusion, this was our 6-0-0 this season. So we're basically the FC Edmonton of, of last year, but we're much more attractive that, 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 to watch. I'll take that compliment any day. <laughs> yeah. Last year, FC Edmonton were amazing, like defensively. Yeah, so and that's the year, most 0 out of every other team. I haven't counted, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a safe call to make. Mm-hmm. It's also our 11th clean sheet. Uh, which is, you know, more than half the games played. So in more than half of the Fury's games, they shut out the, the opponents. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and with that, let's take a break, and then we'll get into some other Fury news, listener questions, and all that good stuff. For Ottawa Fury, all news, previews, reviews, and, and everything else, go to TotalNASL.com and read uh, my stuff and everybody else's. It's a great resource for NASL, and we have the Total NASL Roundtable on Thursday nights, usually at 8 p.m. Uh, welcome back, guys. So let's talk about the academy who played away in uh, Montreal. How did they do, Ryan? Yeah, they uh, went and they played uh, Mount Royal. And you know what? They won on the road. What? Yeah, 2-0. So that was the Senior Boys Academy. You know, they're really coming along. There's, they've added some older players, right? So and they've got, got a player from FC Montreal as well. So it's really you see a kind of more confidence in the team. You see them going in for balls they used to back away from and stuff. So that's nice. Uh, the Junior Academy didn't do so well against uh, CS Montreal. They uh, lost 3-0. So... Still, they're you know, they've been. It's got a few games left. You never know. But right now, they're both sitting at the bottom of the table. The next home game is uh, this Saturday coming up, six p.m. at Algonquin. So that's definitely a good one to go to since there's no home game next weekend for the Fury. Right. Yeah. If you need your local soccer fix, that's the place to be, and it's free. Yeah, it'll be good. Get get to know these players because you don't see them on the first team some someday. So. 
right, in terms of other Ottawa Fury news, not too much going on yet because the big announcement is actually after we're, we're done recording on the Tuesday when there is contract talk where uh, Pew and Dos Santos are going to give a press conference. So we can guess what that might be. Like, hopefully it's a contract extension for Dos Santos, right? Yeah, that's the positive way to look at it or the hopeful way to look at it. <laughs> they wouldn't announce him leaving at this point in the season. No, that's, they, that's no, they wouldn't tease it like that mm-hmm. either. What's that? They wouldn't tease it like that, you know? Well, we, there's no tease. Well, there was no tease. There was a media availability. Oh, uh, okay. So it was okay. it's sent out to journalists. So um, it's just Pew and Mark. So you would think that it's a contract extension. But then put yourself in Mark Dos Santos' shoes is... Do you do a contract extension at this point? Like, he's going to have taken a team from so. last place almost yeah. to the playoffs, most likely. Who knows what they're going to do there? The heads have been turned. I mean, people are paying attention. Yeah, well, we're riding high right now, right? And that's when you want to talk contract. Like, if we make it to, if we get fourth and we're out first round of the playoffs, you know, the contract talks aren't as exciting for him. Right? But he's not, I don't think he's, he's motivated by money. I think he's motivated by opportunity. And although, from what I hear, he loves Ottawa. It's a great place for his family. If MLS came calling, don't you think that he would go? Yeah, we had that discussion last Boston, yeah. week. Okay. And we sort yeah. of think that if he were going to go to the MLS, it would be Montreal. Because he has sort of unfinished business there. I disagree, but... Ryan disagrees with Blogsmith and I kind of think along those lines. And then we can't really see him in any other MLS game, uh, MLS team, sorry, just because the limit of freedom put on, you know, with the single entity model and so on. He's, and he's a strong guy. He wants his own philosophy. He wants his own players. So there's that. Um, but yeah, let's not talk about this announcement too long because we have... By the time you guys listen to this, it will already have been made. So that's the nature of podcasting. It's not exactly a breaking news medium. I, I think Ottawa would be a good place to build your name and then later become the national team coach. Mm-hmm. So I think there's there's definitely benefits for him staying in Ottawa. But. Yeah, we, we'll get to that when we discuss the listener question. Now... Um, Drew Becky's uh, injury was not ruled a stress fracture, which is good news. That means he might return soon, uh, which is good to do maybe some rotations, especially after next week when we start having like three away games in a row where it's going to be like hell for the players. One little bit of info on that is that on Saturday, I saw him with uh, one of those boots, those plastic boots on his foot. Mm-hmm. So it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't look good. When you see a player walking around in a cast, essentially. So I wonder if it's longer than that that he's out. Cool. Um, And then something that's uh, personally very exciting for me. uh, Some of you may know this. um, Theo runs some fantasy leagues uh, currently for the EPL and the MLS. He puts a lot of work into this. Uh, I believe... um, Yeah, I'm not going to explain what it is exactly. I'm going to let you (laughs) explain it in your own words. Uh, What are you planning on on, on launching soon? Next year, next season, we're going to do NASL. We're going to add it to our stable. And uh, it's... Yeah, like you said, I do EPL, MLS, and major tournaments like Euro, World Cup. 
Um, and I put a different spin on, on the fantasy leagues. It seems everywhere you go now, the, the big ones, it's all budget-based. You have a certain amount of money and you go and buy your players. I've never enjoyed that, so I decided I'd make my own. And it's been running for over a decade now. And uh, we're going to add NASL to it. That's very exciting, just because there really isn't any other NASL fantasy league that I know of, and it, it you know forces us to pay attention to other teams. And I know what it's like when you're in a fantasy league; like you're more inclined to watch games that normally you wouldn't watch, just because you want to see how your players do. Absolutely, that, that's the whole point of Indy versus yeah. Atlanta. Would you watch Indy versus Atlanta? You know, if Christian Nicht is the keeper, that I'm. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's something for you guys to look forward to, and wh when it does launch, uh, we'll be uh, tweeting that out and probably mentioning it on the podcast. So let's talk about something else um, Teo did. Uh, I think it was last week that you had the pleasure. Well, you know, if we have you here, Teo, we're, we're <laughs> going to you know, take advantage of that. It was last week that you had the pleasure of uh, interviewing uh, Mark Dos Santos. So tell us a little bit about how that interview went and some of the main points that, that you tickled out of him. Yeah, we, uh, we sat down for 90 minutes. The premise uh, of the interview was to talk about his team and formations and tactics. Uh, I wanted him to explain to me, uh, as a soccer fan, what the 4-3-3 he's put on the field is and how it works. And it was really interesting. As you know, Mark Dos Santos is a talker. And uh, he loves to elaborate. And when he sees a, a subject or a person he's talking to who, who's interested, he'll just go. And there's little need for the interviewer to be there. You can just put down your, your recording device and, uh, and take it to the bank. Uh, but it was really interesting. I don't want to go too much into it. I'm going to be writing about the experience and, and what he said and how, how the 433 works. I explained it a little bit, a little part of it earlier with the triangulation of the midfield. Um, but uh, there was a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, the interview sort of started there, and then it sort of morphed into his career. And uh, he dropped a... For me, it was a bombshell. I hadn't seen anywhere where he had said this. He may have told Chris Hoffley, I've been told uh, about this, but he said that his one of his dreams is, other than coaching in the Premier League, uh, the English Premier League, not the... Portuguese Premier League, although he did say that he wanted to do that for his dad too. Uh, but he mentioned that he wanted to coach Canada's men's national team. And that surprised me because I've always thought that he was too much involved in the day-to-day -day stuff with players and teaching and all that to want to take over a national team where you see your players six or seven times a year, maybe less than that if you're, if you're Canada. Uh, I think it would drive him nuts. But at the same time, if that's something he wants to do 10, 15 years from now and bring his brother for the technical side and the development side, it could be a huge opportunity for Canada. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this out loud, like, I'm a huge Dos Santos fan. And I think he's, he's fantastic. And I think he has vision. And the kind of vision that Canadian coaches have not had since Holger Osiek. And I, I, I'm going to catch some flack maybe for saying that name uh, in a positive note, but I was a fan of, of the vision, at least, that he had. And he did win the Gold Cup for Canada. So, anyways, the Santos, I think, would be a, a great choice for Canadian men national team. He said that it wasn't something he wanted to do now, obviously. I think he has to say that because there's a coach in place right now. 
Benito Floro, and until he flounders, uh, he'll, he'll be the coach. But, yeah. Um, well, we're certainly looking forward to some of the other stuff that you talked about with Dos mm -hmm. Santos, and uh, um, uh, we're you know, very curious to read the other stuff. But, yeah, let's stick to Mark Dos Santos' statement that he wants to coach uh, the Canadian, Canadian men's national team. And let's throw it straight to our listeners. And um, we asked them for their reaction. So let's see uh, who responded. Uh, Tim, what, does, what are some replies here? Uh, Namu at uh, BBSC Solboro answers definitely. But I think of international soccer management as more for older managers. You should climb up in the club soccer first. I guess that's true to a certain extent, but you know it depends on the individual. Like Germany's national team coach Yogi Löw, he has kind of limited club experience, but he won the World Cup with a national team. So it doesn't you don't have to be defined by that. I think you can coach a Canadian national team anytime, really. I think what Dos Santos has done in Canada twice. I don't know what he did in Brazil, but what he did in Canada twice is he made uh, a very good team out of very limited resources. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like the job of a Canadian national team manager. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's a perfect yeah. fit. Yeah. So he, he did that in Montreal. He took like an A-League Montreal impact and took him to the semi-final CONCACAF Champions League. And now look what he's done yeah. with the Ottawa. And team. he won championships in Montreal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they won multiple championships. Yeah. 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 So. And uh, we've already mentioned what he's done in Ottawa. And so he is the expert at taking very little and making gold out of it or whatever so there, there are some opinions on both sides so for example jeff salisbury from uh from the black hole podcast out there in saskatchewan he says good on mds would love to see him at the helm but there's other people for example carson who's at 613 cigain he says he doesn't have the track record to warrant that kind of an appointment yeah, I disagree with Carson. <laughs> really, Dan? Yeah. That's so surprising. No, but I, no, I just, uh, the, the <laughs> empirical evidence is there, right? Uh, I don't think Mark DeSantis really has it now. I think at some point he's probably the perfect candidate, but right now he's been coaching for a year and a half of men's league. Here. Yeah, but no, but he came from junior in Brazil. Yeah, and then Montreal before that. How many years was he in Montreal? Three years head coach of Montreal. So I don't... And he coached with like 12 of your attack and stuff too, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so I think he'd probably want a little more experience first. Yeah, I, yeah. <coughs> I think he has the credentials to do it now, but I agree with Blogsmith that he will take the time to, to get more experience before he does it. That was my feeling when I, when I was sitting down. Did you uh, have a chance to ask him at all about the proposed Canadian League, or is that <laughs> something you purposely avoided? Or? Uh, it never occurred to me. I know that uh, he did make a lot of comments to Chris Hoffley of the Sun last week uh, at practice. Yeah, um, I read that. Uh, for those reader, readers, viewers, not even viewers, listeners, <laughs> my goodness, get your media right, Gautier. Um For the listeners who aren't aware, uh, he did say that he didn't see it happening anytime soon, that there's only two setups in Canada right now that are ready for it, and it's Ottawa and Edmonton, and he doesn't want to see a bunch of semi-pro players and other teams uh, make up a Canadian league, and that was his take on it. So it was very strong, as everything MDS says is. He doesn't uh, go half, half bore on anything. Uh, so... 
There you have it. Cool. And uh, were there any other reactions from our listeners in regards to the national yeah. team? Yeah, OIT desire? question bot at BBSC <laughs> Critton says, love it. Had my heart set on this guy for men's national team after the first time I heard him talking soccer. Yeah, although there must be still a lot of people in the Canadian soccer community that know very little about him. Eh? Like if you think about people in, in the West Coast mm-hmm. and Vancouver and, and well, even Toronto. Like, Whitecaps fans are very familiar with him. Yeah, got, that's where I used to see him all the time. the Warriors Cup, he won a bunch he of Warriors Cup. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> he's known, he's well known amongst the soccer community throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, from coast to coast. But at a certain level, like hardcore nerds nerds like us <laughs> yeah. know about him um, that's canadian soccer though right y- yes <laughs> yeah uh, and but i mean got that right. if, if they announced uh, tomorrow that mark dos santos was named the new national team head coach on tsn most of the country would shrug and go who's that guy right yeah, but they shrug when it's floro or yeah, yeah, yeah well so. if you say real madrid floro yeah, people go madrid. yeah they go oh yeah yeah that guy's from real madrid I know that team. They have yeah, but Floro, like I'm guy. really tuned into like worldwide football, and I'd never heard of Floro because it's like he, he coached Real Madrid like in the early '90s when I was like seven years old, so mm-hmm. I hadn't done anything really <laughs> until now. Yeah, just as an aside. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then we also give our listeners the opportunity to tweet questions that they want answered. So thanks, guys, for your contributions. Just as a reminder, we are at OIT Fury. And we also have a Facebook group that people don't use for some reason. And we have an email address, which is ours is the Fury Podcast at gmail.com. So, uh, Ryan, what were some listener questions this week? Uh, listener questions. Uh, let's go f- to OVTC6. He, question one, and I think he has multiple questions. Colin Falvey played well, but wasn't Pizer named man of the match? But why wasn't Pizer named man of the match? So, Falvey was named man of the match, and Pizer wasn't. I totally agree. Kaiser yeah. should be pretty much man of the match every time he saves a game for us, which he does about 50% of the time or more. So, yeah, I yeah, completely I, agree. 100% with Martinberg here. And it's also like, Falvey didn't, like, not to be negative, but it didn't stick st- uh, stand out to me more than anyone else of the field players, <laughs> really. No. You have to look at it. I think um, to, to he also asked who picks the man of the match. Yeah. And I tried to find this out today. I didn't get too far, but I got some hints. And I think it might be the communications director for, uh, for the Fury. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of Graham Ivory. I, I think he does a good job. But uh, when a communications director is picking a player, it might not just be for his play on the field. It might be for other for marketing, reasons. Yeah. Marketing, trying to build a brand... That kind of thing. So yeah, there's the, a conflict of interest there for sure. Well, yeah, and in in the um, for the in stadium, if you go to a Sens game and you watch the three stars, you can disagree with the three stars most of the time. It's usually the press, right? right? That, that pick the stars. It's usually the press that picks the stars for the games, and uh, but not not in football, not in the NESL. It's not not the press box that picks the stars. I've heard that. Uh, Graham sometimes goes to the press box to ask them their opinion. Okay. I was in the press box on Saturday, and, and he, I think he was broadcasting, actually. I think he was on the radio. So he wouldn't have had an opportunity to do that. Um, I don't know. 
how much he had to do on Saturday if he was the one who chose. And we're making a lot of, of assumptions. Uh, assumptions, but we're also making a lot of a subjective pick, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a pick that somebody made uh, to pick Falvey. And Falvey wasn't undeserving, but uh, in, in most uh, assessments, it was Pizer who stole the game. For sure. All right. Uh, so then uh, Matthew Hawkins had a question for us. Um, he asked, has Ottawa's attack run out of gas? I mean, we don't have the most deadly finishers on their squad. We never have, and we're used to that. But we discussed it a little bit in the first part. We are creating chances, so I'm not really worried about this. Like we're gonna score. I'd I would like to see it changed up. I would like to see like maybe Hassan start the first 50, 60 minutes, and then Tommy come on the last thirty. Because Tommy's really dynamite when he when he's subbed on late in the game. He he's more effective, I find, mm. and he makes a. He has had some has very, some super Tom, uh, yeah. sub sub uh, appearances. But I, I'm going back to the question, and I'm, I'm wondering about the choice of words. Run out of gas. What does that mean? What, what does that look like, an offense that's run out of gas? Is he saying that they, they're low on energy, or, uh, or that just simply that they're not scoring? It's a play on words. Not being creative, not, not being forceful. Because like, I don't think they were, like you said, it's not like the offense was ever in overdrive. No, but they don't look tired to me, so I don't no. think he's getting... Uh, like, it's not an energy level thing yeah. either. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think uh, we're going to see some goals come come in from... that. that goals that weren't going in last weekend will go in next weekend. I, I, I'm really not concerned about, about the offense. Yeah, I think that uh, Oliver and Paolo Jr. especially have kind of picked it up recently. They didn't score last weekend, but they had the chances too. And yeah, this is not a team that's going to put up three goals every every game. So yeah, I think just I think the midfield kind of lacked the last couple of games. I don't think it's really the attackers' fault per se. There's too much space in the midfield, yeah. like we we're saying at the start of the podcast. Yeah, and Mark Lapointe had a question uh, for the pod. That's us for the pod. <laughs> uh, what is the longest contract you would give a manager? Life. <laughs> if so, it's Dos Santos life yeah no, I, this is this podcast is a MDS love fest so um, I, I, I don't know like three to five years I guess like an honest realistic answer um, because because if you do fire a manager early you do have to pay out that contract and in NASL that could probably bankrupt your team so yeah the other thing is that NASL and I don't know if they do this for coaches, but for players, they never talk about length of contract. So we'll never find out. Oh, well, they never give any numbers yeah. in, in NASL or MLS. They don't give numbers, but they always leak out. But well, MLS, no, they, once in a year, they put out the list of players and their salaries. Yeah. I think that's pretty... I, I wish they would do the same for NASL. Well, I think it would be embarrassing to the NASL if they did. And the disparity would be just yeah, shocking. Between Raul and... and uh, and me. <laughs> <laughs> Good save. <laughs> and uh, Jeff Salisbury at Jeff D. Salisbury asks, what is the Fury's biggest match left this fall season? Okay, to me that's a no-brainer. I think the game against New York Cosmos Absolutely. away is... is, is it, that is basically a, a six-pointer. And it's a Tuesday night. It's a Tuesday it's night? Really? I believe so. 22nd? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't checked the date, but... Uh, 
day FIFA comes out. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's hoping that Amazon is late with, with shipping. Um, anyway, yeah. Oh, I, but I actually completely disagree. I think the Edmonton game at home is... That, that's what Jeff awesome. wants you to say, yeah. <laughs> I think New yeah. York's already made it in. We're drifting too far apart from New York to catch them in the combined rooms, I think. I think Edmonton, it's our first game back after a few weeks on the road. Edmonton's playing strong. They're moving up the table. They they showed last year that this is where they play their best soccer. So I think that Edmonton game, who we've historically had trouble with mm-hmm. in the past, I think that's the biggest game of the NFL season. That's a good point. This next week is done to make or break our season. Like, well, like Fort Lauderdale, yes. And then we have the three games in a week. Fort Lauderdale, New York, Atlanta. Carolina. Know? Carolina. Yeah. And that's all in one week. Like, within <sighs> seven days. Those three games happen. Yeah, that's so. a lot of travel on the players as well, but we'll get All to that at a, at a yeah. later point. But yeah, you make some good points there, Blocksmith, for sure. Although I think that Newer Cosmos, they're not, they're not uncatchable for the combined tables. Um, we're, we're six points away from them right now, so if we win that game, it's only three points. So it's just us winning one, Cosmos losing one. So, I mean, that game still obviously has, has high importance, but yeah. Arguably, the FC Edmonton game is, is more important because it's at home and we really got to win that one. So let's take a look now at uh, how FC Edmonton and the other teams in the NASL did last weekend. Um, but let's start with the uh, midweek game. It was San Antonio Scorpions against Carolina Railhawks. And this match, I didn't see it, but it sounded like a barn burner. Um, a lot of different stuff happening. Own goals, red cards for Canadians. <laughs> um, but good save for San Antonio, who lost Adrian Ken in the 19th minute uh, um, to, to still make it a 3-3. Did, did any of you watch the game? No. No, I heard there were 30 fouls, though, and 12 yellows. That yeah. what happened? 11 yellows, 13 cards. But a lot of uh, people upset with the referee yeah. as well. Yeah, it was the same referee uh, that got his uh, notebook torn up by Clint Dempsey. <laughs> okay. And so I think that uh, probably he had a new notebook and he wanted to make use of it. <laughs> yeah. Before it gets ripped up again. Yeah. But you'll see that. Eh? You'll see certain referees just give out cards like crazy. And it's weird. Is that trapped? Is that... Is that something they get coached on? Or? Yeah, Pro does, uh, does track it. And, uh, I mean, you say that that's something that happens. Some referees give out more cards, but this is a referee who's lost control of two matches in, in the same season. So that might be something that concerns Pro. Pro being the referee's guild or whatever it is. In the United States. Yeah. There should come as a surprise that the San Antonio Scorpions are playing this game. Yeah, considering how dirty. badly their yeah, discipline has been. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But uh, still about 4,200 people showed up for that match, which is not bad given their their streak this year. I mean, we, we're used to higher numbers there, but if your team loses every week, you know, it's, it's going to have an effect. Uh, the New York Cosmos had a very hard time uh, beating Jacksonville Armada 1-0. The goal didn't come until the 74th minute. Was a beauty though. Uh, if you haven't seen it, Raul just toys with everyone. <laughs> Beautiful finish. Uh, Armada actually ended the the match with nine men. Well done. <laughs> 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 what is wrong with these teams? Like, have some discipline. 
Uh, New York Cosmos announced the attendance to be 5,089. Um, we kind of put in our Google document that we have in front of us here that they're probably lying because the New York Cosmos <laughs> are usually lying about the attendance. Um, all right, moving on. Minnesota United against Railhawks. What happened there, Ryan? Uh, well, unfortunately, Minnesota won 3 1. Uh, they're turning into the team I despise the most because they're so damn good. Um, they, they, they gave up a lot of leads this year. They'd be up and they'd give up the lead and, like, and then it'd be a draw, but they're starting to get it together. They're starting to win no matter what. And that puts them up a second at the table. So 8,000 people down in Blaine. I know that wasn't in Carolina, so I'm just saying that game was in Minnesota just by looking at the attendance. And Carolina was up 1-0, but uh, Minnesota was slow to get into the game, but they got into the game 72nd minute. They got their first goal, and then it just rained. Like, when it rained, it poured. It was 3-1 it ended from, from Minnesota. Yeah, and Kevin Venegas also scored an absolute beauty in that match. Another goal worth checking out. So it's it's probably going to be that one or Raul's goal for the NASL play of the week, yeah, I would imagine. Good addition by them, right? He was a mid-season addition this year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is he from El Salvador or something? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Click, click, click. <laughs> keyboard, keyboard, keyboard. <laughs> uh, all right. And then uh, the San Antonio Scorpions played again, uh, you know, on the weekend. And this time they drew actually over 7,000 people. So I guess weekend games draw more than uh, weekend games everywhere in the league. Weekday games, I mean. Anyway, um, I'm tired. <laughs> San Antonio won uh, 2-0 against Indy 11. Both goals coming from the little guy, Castillo. Um, Blogsmith, anything you want to add about this? Uh, yeah. Nana Atacora, he's kind of fallen off the Canadian team's bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, picked up his third yellow in three matches. Woo-hoo. So that means he's just go Canada. But <laughs> didn't he get a red or in the game before? No, that was the other uh, Canadian. Oh, just, just Adrian Can did? He only yeah. got a yellow in an own goal. Okay. <laughs> and an uncle. Yeah, his career has been all over the place. He's, he's bouncing back and forth. He was with San Jose for a while. Then he, he was over in Norway, and then he couldn't get re-signed in MLS, and he ended up in San Antonio. So, but San he's Ant- still young too. He's, yeah, yeah, twenty-four. Mm-hmm. Lots of potential yeah. there, but so many mistakes. And then Elizondo got a red again for San Antonio. So. It's every match that someone gets sent off for them. Like, it must drive the coach mad. Or it's the coach's fault. <laughs> yeah, maybe the coach... It's Alan Marcina, and he's known as a hothead. Yeah. So... It rubs off on his players, you think? I think so, yeah. Did you not see him go after Mar- <laughs> Mark DeSantos after their match? Yeah. It's crazy. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was, we talked about that in the last podcast, and the, Mark had his finger in his face. I, yeah. I know, if you watch the American broadcast, which I did, and it was yeah. it was a pretty interesting confrontation. But yeah, oh, how did FC Edmonton do? They won, which is actually kind of good for us because they beat the Tampa Bay Rowdies, who are uh, yeah, yeah you know, just <laughs> discounts no, them completely. It's like Log- Blocksmith was saying earlier. Edmonton is on the way up. Tampa is. T- Humbling. They're gone. They're not making the playoffs. You but but they first. fixed their problem. They changed their coach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, that didn't you, fix anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you look at the combined table, uh, they're still in fourth. Yeah, for now. I mean... Yeah. You're, you're probably right in terms of form. They are on their way out. But yeah, either, yeah, I guess either way, it's good that these teams are taking points off of each other because 
they're uh, chasing us. I mean, looking at the combined table, look, it's seven points from last fourth. Like, it's going to be crazy, tight, yeah. crazy run to the end. Mm. Well, even in, in the fall season, aren't we only six points up? We are eight points up on fifth place. Right. So we're, no. like, from the drop zone, eight. But fall season, we want to win the fall season to guarantee a playoff spot. Yeah, and that we're three points up on Minnesota. Oh, it's only three now. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it is. Um, in, in terms of uh, the stuff that, that we should mention about the Edmonton game, um, there were 4,160 people there. Um, Rowdy's really had an awful game. I think they only had like one shot on target. Early game, too. Like at noon. <laughs> Which kind of fit w well into my personal <laughs> soccer <laughs> scheduling that day. Um, but it's kind of a weird kickoff time for uh, locals. Um, they drew well, considering. Yeah, true. For, for Edmonton, that's a good Maybe number. Maybe that's the key to their success. <laughs> Go to 11 o'clock next time. <laughs> it's like 10 a.m. <laughs> Have brunch and yeah. watch a soccer game. And it was Captain Albert Watson who scored in the 16th minute. And that was pretty much all we need to mention about that match. Now, in terms of the standings, uh, we alluded to it. We're still in first when it comes to the fall table. Minnesota and Cosmos are both three points behind. Um, Edmonton is six points behind, but they've already played a goal, uh, a game more than we have. Um, so we're still in a fairly comfortable position, but we, you know, it, it would be nice to get a win or two here and there. And then the combined table, it's it's tight all throughout. We're still in the in the top four, but. Oh, man, I really hope we win the fall. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk realistically here. We're, we have five games and two, five road games and two home games. That's correct, right? Yeah. So the, how many points realistically are we going to get out of these seven games? And, uh, and they're not against, like, easy competition, too, right? We have the Cosmos. We have... They don't say this loudly uh, with the team uh, being at practice last week. The question was asked a few times, how many points? What's the, what's the target? And they don't come out and say it very loudly. Few of them will say, I think I heard Pizer say, we're looking at 45 points. <laughs> wow. so you got, we have 36 right now. So, so that's more. another nine points. Wow. Nine points from nine games. Yeah. I think there's nine games left, right? Yeah. Eight, it's eight, eight, eight games left? Or eight. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so nine points from eight games isn't... Does that get you in the playoffs? Right, well, according to his math, but who knows if it's right or well, not. Well, according to Nikki Patterson's math uh, two episodes ago, he said 12 points then, so it's consistent. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the Fury's still in a great position. They control everything. They can win the fall. Uh, they can finish in the top four. I think we're looking at a playoff spot until, unless there's some sort of incredible collapse. But it's not going to be easy. Mark DeSantos keeps saying this in his press conferences. It's not going to be easy. This is a tough league. It's tight. And every point counts. And they've been stressing that point a lot in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. I was like, just looking at the schedule, especially three away games in the one week. Like, it's, it's daunting. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Well, it all starts with the next game against the Fort Lauderdale Strikers away. And instead of doing a preview like we normally do, um, since we just played them, we're going to keep it quite short. 
So basically the game's going to be on, on the Saturday at 7.30 at Lockhart Stadium. It will be aired on Rogers uh, TV or on the website. Um, the one good thing is that Fort Lauderdale, they actually have a mid-week game as well. And it's a big game for them because it's against Jacksonville and they probably have some kind of fancy name for that derby. <laughs> and it's on Tuesday. All these Tuesday games just start popping up at the end of the season. Strange. They're yeah, they need to fit it all in. Um, yeah, we need to limit uh, their chances going forward. You know, we're not gonna. We can't rely on Pizer to make you know five World Cups saves every game, and hopefully we can uh, score one of those goals uh, that we should have scored I in think the last the, match. I think the key would be uh, not letting them have possession like they did last game. Last game, uh, I don't mm-hmm. know the possession must have been the first half must have been like seventy thirty. Mm-hmm. It was crazy possession. Yeah. It'll be familiar territory for Paulo Jr., Ali Hassan, and Rafael Alves. They were strikers in the past couple of seasons. And uh, that might be an advantage. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. But you guys are right with the possession because Ottawa is anything but a counter-attacking team. So you, you don't really want to give the possession to the other team. That's not going to work mm-hmm. well with our system. So anyway, um, I'm hoping for a point. That's my realistic expectation. Like a draw away in Fort Lauderdale would be good. In terms of the lineup, I think we're going to see a pretty similar thing as, as last week because we don't have another game until the week after, so no one's going to be rested, I don't think. We may see Julian de Guzman back in the lineup, but other than that, I don't think there's going to be too many surprises. But, you know, I might be proven wrong. But that, you know, pretty much puts us uh, to the end of uh, this week. Thanks for listening, guys. You know where to find us. Um, we're at OIT Fury on Twitter. We have a Facebook group. And what's our email, Tim? Ours is a Fury Podcast at gmail.com. So please keep checking that daily. <laughs> and uh, Theo already mentioned where, uh, where we can find his work, but uh, if you have anything else you want to plug or uh, where people can follow you on Twitter, go for it. On Twitter, I can be found at, at Mimglow. That's M Mother I Mother Glow, as in. Uh, something that is lit. <laughs> <laughs> Mimglow. I don't know what it means either. Uh, but that's my Twitter handle. And that's gone on longer than it should have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you, Teo. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Um, yeah. Have a good yeah. soccer. Toodles. Bye-bye. Enjoy. See ya. work what's division one division two well the mls is division one and division two is nesl and division three is usl so ottawa's division two okay okay i think i got it i think i got it just one more question how do you get promoted to division one
So first you seek out Tom Brady's deflate gate lawyer, file a bunch of lawsuits, and then voila. <laughs> it's all about the money.